Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. I'll, I'll let you know something about me. I don't care about eating healthy all that much. <laughs> if you know me very well, this is no shock. Uh, exercise, eating healthy does not matter to me. Sarah takes care of that for us. She makes sure that we eat enough kale and other things. Um, I just shove it in my mouth and then walk away. Like, I just try and, like, I do what I have to do. Uh, it doesn't bother me except for when I'm in pain. And then I have a tendency to overreact with those two things. Uh, for example, I was thinking of many times in my adult life that I have overreacted around this. Uh, one time I... Uh, it's like, I don't know, 12, 14 years ago, I felt like I had gained more weight than I was happy with. And so I was like, I need to start working out, but I don't like going to the gym. So I was like, you know, when I was 12, I liked to bike. Because that's what you do when you're an adult. You base things on what you liked when you were 12. Um, you know, like Mario Kart was my favorite too. Um, and so I got a bike and I started, uh, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And so I was like, I'm going to bike to my friend's house. It's not that far away, just a couple of miles, not a big deal. And so I get on my bike and I, I start going. But you know what happens when you haven't biked in a long time? Uh, in at least a decade. And you start to bike and all those things happen, including the fact that I didn't map out where I was going. And so I'm biking and it's all uphill because the route that you take going somewhere in a car is very different from what you would do if you're running or biking. And so I'm going all uphill and I get to the top of one hill and I'm like, oh, that felt good, right? Like I'm burning all of these pounds away immediately. And then I realize like the rest of it is uphill too. So I start going, and like halfway up the hill, I had to do the walk of shame. I get off my bike, and you know, I'm like, it's bad news, and I have to walk it up the rest of the hill. I'm in my 20s, like this is terrible, like it was really, really bad. Uh, needless to say, after I uh, rode my bike home, the bike disappeared and, you know, never was seen again. Like, I didn't keep riding my bike after that. Um, there was, uh, in 2020, so I've gotten better with exercise because my body hurts so older that I get, you know, like that's what happens. So I know that I have to now. Um, so 2020, after COVID shut down all the gyms, I was like, you know, a couple months in, I'm like, I just hurt really bad. I got to do something. And I'm not going to sit here and do like a YouTube, um, you know, exercise tutorial, like video or something like, so what am I going to do? I was like, I'll just go for a run. I hate running. <laughs> like I have always hated running. I was like six and I hated running. Like it has never been something I've been okay with. But I got ready and I went for a run and like, I hate how running makes your legs hurt and your lungs hurt. And I, I really hate the fact that like when you're running and it's not on a, 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 an exercise machine that you can't just stop whenever you want because you have to get home somehow. And like, 
I hate the fact that I had to like keep going the whole time with this like awkward run, jog, walk thing that I was doing. Like more running when people were looking than the rest of the time. Um, the, like the social pressure of running is very intimidating for me too. Um, and so I get home and the girls and Sarah were all shocked because I am vocal about my hatred of running. And they were like, you went for a run? Is this like a new thing? Like, and so they got in my face and they started asking me all the questions. And all I said was, as I walked to the bathroom to take a cold shower is, I hated it and it's never happening again. <laughs> and that's true. And they still talk about the one time that dad went running. Uh, I do this with like, I don't diet at all, but I did do a cleanse, you know, a detox cleanse thing one time. I moved for seminary and my stomach was like not in good spots. So I was like, I got to do something. I got to like break the, break my body out of this. And so I <laughs> um, Googled and finally found one that I could deal with. And it was like eating vegetables and fruit for like four days. And I was like, okay, I can hang. I can do this for four days. That's fine. And it gives you a list of like the things that you're allowed to eat and what you're not supposed to. So I went to the store and I only bought from the list that you're allowed to eat. The problem is I don't like most vegetables. <laughs> so I didn't buy, buy very many of those. So basically I was doing a like tomatoes and fruit cleanse for four days. Um, because yeah, ranch was also not a part of the cleanse. So how am I going to force it down? Uh, there's not enough water in the world. Um, so I'm eating and I made it through like a day, day and a half. And then for dinner one night, I basically just ate blueberries. And that was a really bad life decision. And like two hours later, I felt like, I felt really, really bad. And I went in the bathroom to like, because I felt like something was going on. Like, and like I had, you know, I looked like a Smurf. Not, not really. I wasn't quite that bad. But like, it wasn't changing my color. But like something was going on, like texture-wise on my skin at that point. So I'm like, WebMDing, what did I do? You know, like, I'm freaking out at this point. Like, I take a Benadryl. I probably went straight to the grocery store and bought some potato chips so that I could, like, wash it out of my system. Um, and I never did a cleanse again. Like, Sarah's tried multiple times to get me to do a cleanse, and I, I have not done it. Because, um, you know, it's just not worth it, right? Um, you know, cleanses, the whole point, their whole selling point is to eliminate the toxins in your body, right? That's what they tell you. Uh, and it'll improve your body for health and like uh, help you to uh, kind of be emptied of the things that bring death to your body. That's the selling point. Uh, but the reality is, is that it's only if you do it correctly. If you don't do it correctly, you're not cleansing anything. You're just adding to the other stuff that's already in your body. Like I could have safely eaten vegetables and blueberries uh, or whatever else for four days and been totally fine, but I didn't want to play by the rules. I didn't want to do things the way that it was supposed to be done in order for my body to actually be healthier, in order for my body to actually get where it needed to be. My issue was that I wanted to cheat and do it my way and still have the same result at the end of the day. And that, as I learned, does not happen. You know, we as humans, we desperately want life and not death. 
But in order to be filled with life, we have to be willing to kill all the toxins that are in our body. We have to be willing to flush them all out to get everything out of us so that we can be refilled. It's true in every area of our life, emotionally, physically, spiritually. If you want to be filled spiritually with the life of Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, you have to be willing to get rid of all the things that bring death to you spiritually. So today's Pentecost Sunday. And it's the day in the church calendar where churches all over the world remember the birth of the church. The time that the Holy Spirit came and filled uh, those followers of Jesus who were in that room in Jerusalem and desperately praying, and he filled them with the Holy Spirit. It was something around 40 days after Jesus had left them. 40 days later, they had just been praying on their knees, like saying, basically, God, what's next? What is supposed to happen? Can you imagine what it would have been like for them? Like they already went through the days that Jesus was in the tomb. Like they already experienced him leaving them. And then he leaves them again. And now here they are for an even longer period of time saying like, what in the world is going on? How are we supposed to live this out? They'd lost everything and brought to a place of, I think, kind of death. Death of their hopes. Death of the vision that they had for how this was going to work. A spiritual death. And it was at that point that the Holy Spirit comes and fills them. And into the place of emptiness that they had, they were filled with God's Spirit. It's the story of Pentecost. It's the story of reversals, of going from death to life. But why didn't Jesus just give it to them when he was still around? Why make them wait 40 days. Have you ever asked Jesus, why are you making me go through this? Like, what's the purpose to this? That's what they were saying. Why? How is this helping me? How is this getting me to a better spot? Like, what's the goal in this? Why make them spend 40 days dying before he filled them? Because we have to be empty before we're able to be filled. I think that's why Jesus did it. You know, a cup full of dirty and bacteria-filled water. You can drink it all you want. You're going to get sick. That same cup could be a great carrier of healthy, life-giving water, but you're going to have to clean it first. You're going to have to pour all the stuff out, wash it, rinse it, and then fill it with something new. And I think that's what Jesus has to do in us, too. There are times when we have to be emptied of the dirty and bacteria-filled water that's in us, so that then we can be filled with what brings us life. And I think this morning, this Pentecost, Jesus is inviting us to be emptied so that we can be filled again. So let's pray. And then we're going to jump into the bigger story that Peter quotes from uh, in his sermon. So we just invite you to come, Jesus. I thank you for the, the reasons that you've brought us here today, for the things going on in our lives, the questions that are on our minds, the, 
the weights that we carry, just all the things. We just come into your presence and just lay them before you and just ask for you to come and to speak. Speak into our hearts this morning. Reveal yourself to us. Jesus, I thank you for each person who's here, for the love that you have for them. I pray that this morning that we won't walk out of here before encountering that love. Let us be changed by it today. We love you, Jesus. We ask for more. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have a Bible and you can find it, you can open up to Joel. Um, It is uh, one of those small prophets towards the end of the Old Testament. I think it's two after Daniel. Daniel's a little easier to find. But in the Acts 2 story of Pentecost that Amanda just read to us, Peter begins to quote from Joel. Now, you and I have probably heard this section so many times that like, it's like, yeah, that's what he does. That's the start to a sermon. And if you heard a sermon that I've preached a thousand times, you would be like, yeah, that's just how you start it, right? Like that's the repetition builds up like a normalcy for us. But for Peter, why Joel? Joel is like never quoted anywhere else. He's super obscure. He's like kind of like you're going to find out it's it's like super depressing and kind of negative in some ways. Like why would he instinctively go to that book of the Bible? What is going on here? Uh, Let's read from the beginning of Joel, Joel 1, 1 and see how this starts out. The Lord gave this message to Joel. Hear this, you leaders of the people. Listen to all who live in the land. In all your history, has anything like this happened? Tell your children about it in the years to come. Let your children tell their children. Pass down the story from generation to generation. And here's what the story is. After the cutting locust finished eating the crops... The swarming locusts took what was left. After them came the hopping locusts, and then the stripping locusts too. And on it goes, talking about bugs. That's the story that Joel wants you to pass down to generation and generation. Uh, There's four words for locusts here. Um, They're not scientific. Joel's not trying to give us the scientific titles for all the different types. Uh, He's painting a picture here. They're cutting, swarming, hopping, and stripping. Uh, It's a picture of what's going on in Israel during this time. It wasn't a good time to be living in Israel when Joel was alive. Bad things, like epically bad things are happening. Joel 1.16 says, Our food disappears before our eyes. The seeds die in the parched ground. The grains fall. The grain crops fail. The animals moan with hunger. The herds have no pasture. The sheep and the goats bleat in misery. It's very uh, poetic language for terrible, terrible things going on. Everything and everyone essentially is in pain because of what's going on in their land. All because of the locusts. So, I don't know if you guys are aware, but in 2020, at the same time that COVID hit, which is like crazy, but in other parts of the world, there were huge locust swarms hitting 
and destroying everything. Several countries declared state of the emergency in 2020 at the same time that COVID was hitting. Pakistan, India, uh, huge parts of East Africa, uh, Argentina, Brazil, they all had massive locust swarms hitting and destroying everything. Pakistan declared a state of the emergency uh, because so much of their corn and cotton and uh, what was the other one? And wheat crops had been destroyed by locusts. Uh, In Delhi, India, flight patterns were moved because the swarms were so thick that pilots couldn't see where to land. Like, imagine that nonsense. Like, that's pretty gross. Uh, Brazil called a state of the emergency because they started seeing swarms show up. And after seeing what happened in Pakistan, they were worried about what was going to happen to their food supply. Uh, They estimated, researchers estimated that over 500 million locusts were killed within the first six months of 2020. 500 million in six months, which, and if you think about that, they didn't do a great job of controlling it. Think how many more there were that were out there. So one researcher who was watching this said that they saw that a swarm of locusts could consume any vegetation in its path, even toxic plants, and can decimate a field almost as soon as they descend. In one day, the mass of insects can munch its way through the same amount of food as 15 million people would eat in one day. At their worst, locust swarms can impact 20% of the planet's human population through the damage that they cause. 20%, like what's that? Between 1.6 and 2 billion people? I mean, that's like insane by a bunch of bugs. Who would have thought? So when Joel's talking about this, like, this is actually like epic, like this would be able to like put an entire people group into like decimating numbers, just really bad things happen because of these bugs when they get out of control. So how do you get rid of a locust swarm? I had no idea. So I did what we all do and I Googled it Um, because that's the smart thing to do, right? Um, Here's what I found. To destroy locusts, the first and most important activity is to locate and destroy the locust eggs in an organized manner by plowing, harrowing, and digging. You locate and you destroy the eggs in an organized manner. You can spray a little bug spray all you want. You can light some citronella. It's not going to do much. The only way to get rid of them is to dig and keep digging and rip them up and completely destroy them. There's no other way to get rid of them. You know why a detox was never going to work for me? Because I wasn't willing to dig. I wasn't willing to do the necessary things in an organized manner to be able to get rid of the stuff in my body that was causing me issues. I thought I could cheat the system and still get the same results. But in order to get rid of the toxins, in order to get rid of the locusts, we have to destroy everything that leads to death. Destroy it all. There's no other way to do it. Now, we don't know if Joel actually experienced a locust swarm. 
Uh, we don't have the scientific data to be able to say one way or another. But either way, he had a lot of hands-on knowledge. The picture that he paints is very clear of what happens when that's going on. So we don't know if he had just heard about it from somebody with first-hand knowledge or if it was something going on with him. But we do know that at one point that it does turn into some prophetic imagery when God begins to speak out to the Israelites. And in Joel 2.12, it says that God says, turn to me now while there is still time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Hurry while there is still time. Essentially what God's saying is it can get worse or it can get better. But in order for it to get better, you've got to start doing the hard work right now. You can't just keep skating on by and hoping that it's going to happen on its own. You need to start working at it now. Friends, what is it that you fill your life with? What are you putting in day in and day out? I'm not talking about the things that others have done to you. I'm talking about things that you're choosing. What are you choosing to take in? What are you choosing to focus on? To eat, to drink, to obsess over, to look at. What are you choosing to allow into yourself? What are you filling your life with? If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to be emptied of all of the poisons. You can't just keep trying to add a little trickle of water to dirty, contaminated water and think you'll get the same response, the same end. And friends, some of you probably have experienced this, but if you're a follower of Jesus, the pain is that it's going to happen one way or another. It will. God won't let his followers stay in places where we're filled with trash. There's two options, willfully or forcibly. You don't want forcibly. It's not good. It's not fun. It's like a swarm of locusts landing on your life and bringing destruction. So how do we do the willful emptying of ourselves? What does that look like? You know, the good news is, is that it's simple, maybe not easy, but it's simple. And it's simply this, we repent. And we choose to acknowledge all the things that are in us and give them up to Jesus. And so what I want to do is I just want to give us space to do that right now. Because honestly, if at the end of this morning I said, okay, now we're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come, but I don't give us space to empty ourselves, I think I'd be doing us a disservice. Because there wouldn't be enough room. Because everything else is filling it up too much. And so what I want to do is just invite you to join me just right now. Just kind of get yourself in a position to just give to Jesus whatever it is that you need to acknowledge. And I'll lead us through this. It's not going to take super long time. But just to give up 
to Jesus the sin, the brokenness, the things that are poisoning us to him this morning. So Jesus, we just ask for you to come and just make this space holy. A space where your presence comes and and burns up the, the offering of our sin, of our brokenness, of the things that we need to get rid of so that we can be filled. And Jesus, we just start by just acknowledging our need for your mercy and your grace. Help us to be like the tax collector in the temple beating his chest and saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Not like the Pharisee trying to pretend like everything is okay. We need your mercy. We need your grace. And Jesus, right now we just, in this space, we just acknowledge to you the the things that we've done, the ways that we're broken, the things that we need to give up. And so friends, I just invite you just in your head and in your heart to just say, uh, Richard Foster says, say it without excuse or abridgment. Just get everything out to Jesus that's sitting there. So we just confess what we need to confess right now. Jesus, in this space, we're just echoing Paul in Romans 7, saying, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? But thank God that the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you that you've given us an answer for our brokenness. And Jesus, we just, I just ask right now that in our hearts that we will just start to be aware of your grace and your mercy. I pray that you'll just pour it out on us. As we empty ourselves out, that we will be aware of you coming and taking it and making it a sacrifice that is good in your eyes. Come and bring your grace to our hearts right now, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your forgiveness. There's nothing that is too bad. There's nothing that's too much. But that you come and you take it all. That you make us light. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's what it looks like to willfully get rid of the stuff. And this is the process that God wants us to go through. It's the process that God wanted the Israelites to go through in Joel's time. 
But the Israelites didn't choose that. They chose the harder path. And it looks like total destruction in its wake. Everything gone. Sometimes the forcible option isn't given to us and it just happens because we live in a broken world and bad things happen and it leaves us wrecked and it leaves us emptied. There are times that that happens. But even if that's what has happened to you, the good news is whether you've been emptied on purpose or you've just been emptied, the good news is that God's promise is still the same. That his goodness to you is still the same. That to an empty, desperate people, God always sends his spirit. Joel 2, 28 through 32, this part that Peter quoted, then after doing all those things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even in those days, I will pour out my spirit on, even on the servants, men and women alike, and I will cause wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and terrible day of the Lord arrives. Uh, terrible could also be translated as glorious, so it may have a different connotation than uh, quite as dark as it sounds. Um, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For some on Mount Zion will escape, just as the Lord has said, these will be among the survivors whom the Lord has called. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This emptying process is what connected Peter to Joel, I think. It's a process of being kind of washed out and being at that desperate spot because the Israelites were promised God's spirit when they had been emptied forcibly by the locusts, by everything that they had lost. The, the followers of Jesus were filled with the spirit after, after 40 days of being continually emptied and deadened and, and like left alone, feeling the loneliness of it, God's spirit came. Because God's Spirit, His promise doesn't change. Always to an empty and repentant people, God's Spirit comes. And the story's still the same today. And friends, I think this is where this connects with us. Not just because we're followers of Jesus, but because I think we, we live in a world that is filled with death. Just look at it. I don't have to like even convince you of this probably. You know, there's more people dealing with mental illness than there are professionals to be able to help them. That's kind of the reality we have right now. Like, that's what it is. Addiction is everywhere. Drugs, alcohol, uh, shopping, gambling, um, porn, food, all different types of addictions. Marriages are falling apart. Like you hear, at least I hear about it, like regularly marriages that are falling apart. Single folks are struggling with loneliness and isolation and just feeling left out by themselves, burned. Abuse happens all the time. And like, honestly, like, I kind of want to stop like social media just because I'm tired. Like, I can't handle seeing all the stories all the time. It's too much. 
And it's everywhere. All the time, it's everywhere. It seems like more and more people have cancer or some serious disease that could bring death. Death is everywhere in our world. The locusts have destroyed so much, and they left us barren and empty. They've destroyed what it's taken years to plant and develop and grow. Death is all around us, just like during Joel's time and just like during Peter's time. But the good news of Pentecost is that God's promise hasn't changed. God's promise is still the same today. To an empty and repentant people, God always sends his spirit. To men and women, to old and young, to servants, to everybody. The language in this isn't uh, exclusive. It's actually like super inclusive. It includes everybody. Uh, even what we use as like gender-based terms in, in the original Hebrew are more generalized, big, large people group terms that are based around age, not gender. It's for every single person to all people God's spirit comes. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. So friends, let me speak to people in the room who are young, to people in the room who feel inexperienced, insecure, don't have what it takes to be able to live out whatever it is that Jesus is asking you to do. God's promise to you is that you will hear his voice and speak it with clarity that cuts through the chaos in our world, that brings life in the midst of death. Take hope, take hope deeply. Don't dismiss what God has given to you, but welcome the voice of God to speak through you. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your elders will dream dreams. So friends, let me speak to people in the room who are older. (laughs) Those who feel like their best days are past who feel like, who have been told maybe that your usefulness is gone, who just need to fade into retirement, to those who have stopped dreaming because what's the point? Because you don't got enough time to keep doing it. To you, God says that he is giving you new dreams, that he is filling you with hope for the future, that he's giving you vision for what he's going to do through your life. Don't count yourself out, but dream again. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your youth will see visions. So let me speak now to people who don't have hope, who feel despondent, depressed, and lifeless, who feel overwhelmed and under-inspired, who struggle to have a vision for your future. God's promise to you is that you will be filled with hope and with a vision and that he will give you a vision of what he's going to do and you're going to watch it happen. That you're going to see with clarity his movement in our world. That you'll be aware of how it is that he's moving and speaking. Don't be afraid to lead, but step up into what he's calling you to. 
In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. So let me speak to the people who society says are second class. Who society looks, like, looks at and says that you're worth less than we are. You're looked down upon. You're neglected. You're vulnerable. You've been pushed down. Let me speak to you. God's promise is that you have been given the same gifts as everybody else. There's nothing different. You have been filled with his spirit in the same way that any other person has. You can hear God's voices speak with just as much clarity. You'll move in the power of the spirit and see God's kingdom come. Friends, you're necessary. The good news of Pentecost is that it's a day of reversals. It's a day of promise that those who have been emptied will be filled. Do you feel like you've been emptied? God wants to come and to fill you this morning. Mm-hmm.